The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome to the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Coming up today, we got uh, Fargo City Commissioner Tony Garrig. His, um, boy, Eric, in that city commission race, <laughs> think what you want of his plan, but that guy kind of set a bonfire. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure, but it seems like every one of the hopeful candidates for city commission seems to want Garrig's chair. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what it is. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, you know, Garrick's, he, I think he's right of center. I think a lot of people who are running are, are not, and uh, I think that put a target on his back. I mean, but uh, listen, I mean, say, say whatever else you want about the guy and his plan, and he's going to be on, and we'll talk. I haven't really spent a lot of time talking on his plan. I haven't had him on this program. I know he's been on with Jay and some other people, but I haven't really had him on here here yet. Um, but say what you want. He obviously identified a lot of issues that, that, that people, it was ticking a lot of people off. Now, whether or not he's got the right plan to, to address that issue, I, your mileage may vary. Frankly, I kind of like his plan, um, but I can understand people differing. But at the very least, everybody's talking about specials, which until Garrick identified it was really, I don't think that was an issue on anybody's radar, at least on none of the candidates, Eric. And what I think is funny is he had the courage to be the first one to put out at least a suggestion. When he did so, he said, you know what? It's a suggestion. It's a starting point. This is one yeah. thing I d- identified that I think would work, and you go from there. But now when you hear these different candidates talk about it, well, it's it's his end-all solution. This is the definite plan that he wants to do. The, basically, the way that they word it is like, no, he just he just threw that out there as a starting point. He, he, he I yeah. interviewed him. Other people have interviewed him. And he said, Hey, it can morph in different directions if we find something that works better. But none of these people came out before Tony did. And I guarantee you, none of them would have because nobody wants to be the first one to put it out there because then all the other candidates can jump on and ridicule and find yeah. and poke holes. Yeah. Well, well, good, good for him. And, and, and listen, I think it's a testament to him. He obviously knows the community well because he identified an issue a lot of people care about. Anyway, we'll talk with Tony uh, coming up here at 1230. At 1, we're going to have Secretary of State Al Jagger on the program, Eric. Uh, our new an independent candidate for Secretary of State. Yeah, we're, we're, which is interesting. Gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And obviously, I mean, he was the one, Will Gardner, out of the race now because of that disorderly conduct conviction from 2006 related to him peeping in windows. Um, which, by the way, there was another talk radio host, Scott Hennon, who, uh, and Mike McFeely called him out, rightly so, uh, in a blog post yesterday. Uh, I just wrote my Sunday column about it. Um, some of the defense, and it's not just Hennon. I mean, Hennon, I think, is probably the most identifiable, uh, identifiable the, the most vocal one. But I'm hearing a lot, not all Republicans by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly a vocal faction of Republicans kind of trying to defend Gardner. You know, and I, I've heard, I've heard it like, well, what were these girls doing? They weren't shutting their blinds. Oh, okay, so open blinds are now an invitation for somebody to come outside your window and drop trowel and watch you. That's ridiculous. Um, 
The other there thing was, I'll, I, I'll add to that is the fact, and you mentioned Mr. Hennon and his version of that story. He made it sound like that was the only window that he went up to, but that's according not to the true. police reports. He was he was like going up and down. He would like pretend to tie his shoe and walk back, pants I open. Mean, yeah, pants. Yeah, so it wasn't like he was strolling by on the sidewalk and glanced over and saw more than he wanted to see or, or saw more than he should have seen. Uh, that could happen to anybody. Right. Somebody leaves right. the blinds open. You're walking down the sidewalk. You look in. I, I imagine a lot of people have had that experience. Uh, that's inadvertent. Right. What Gardner did was not inadvertent. No. And I, I don't like it, though, when people pontificate and then kind of twist the facts yeah. about what actually happened. No, I, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm disappointed. I, I was I was I liked I like Will Gardner. I've known Will Gardner for years. Um, I was happy to see Will Gardner defeat Jagger at the convention. I thought for Republicans it was time uh, for a fresh face. It was time for some fresh ideas. I supported Gardner. But when I learned the facts about this case, I stopped supporting him. You can't support him. What he did was gross, and there's no spinning it, and they should stop trying to spin it. The other thing I thought was pretty gross, Eric, was was invoking Josh Boucher's sexual orientation. Now, Josh is openly gay. I mean, that's a fact that he's he himself has made public. Uh, and he's even, you know, I think it's fair to say he's even fundraised on it. Uh, it's also irrelevant in terms of his qualifications for Secretary of State. Uh, and it's irrelevant in terms of what Will Gardner did. You know, but but we're, we're bringing that up like that's somehow relevant. And I, I think the context he brought it up in was like, well, what Will Gardner did was sinful. Uh, and, and Josh Boucher is gay. And so that's sinful, too. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? It makes me upset. It makes me upset, and and I, I don't understand, I don't get people, Republicans, Democrats, or otherwise, who are so hyper-partisan, who are so locked, in, entrenched, and, and it's it's not even, because to me, politics are about ideas, right? Politics are about, it's it's the mechanism through which we try to elect good people who will be good leaders and advance good public policy, right? It's It's not supposed to be a team sport. Right, where I support my team no matter what, and you support your team no matter what. That's not how it's supposed to be. And so when someone on your quote-unquote team does something wrong, it's not your job to go out there and try to rationalize the thing that they did wrong by saying ridiculous things. I, I, will, I would never do that for a Republican. I'm not doing it for Gardner. In fact, over the weekend... Uh, I I don't know if I contributed. I had a feeling Gardner was probably on his way out of the race anyway, but I wrote a post, got a lot of attention, saying Gardner's got to drop out of the race. The Republicans have no business backing Gardner once that conviction became public. So just just absolutely absurd. Anyway, Al Jagger's going to be on the program coming up at 1. But that just, when that that audio, and the Democrats grabbed that audio from Henan's show, and they're out promoting it all over the place. And that, you know, maybe as well they should. Uh, you know, it's what a what a gross gross thing to do. Disappointing, very disappointing. Gardner's behavior was disappointing, and and really the the whole thing does a disservice to the the democratic process, right? I mean, not only were I mean convention delegates at the NDGOP convention, um, most of them didn't know. I, I if 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 Gardner maybe maybe some people knew and they hit they covered it up. I don't know. At this point, um, I get the feeling some people had to have known, but it certainly wasn't widely known because I because I was in the room. I was talking to the delegates. If it was widely known, 
uh, Gardner would not have won at the convention. And so really by, by concealing this, by not putting it out, really did a disservice to that convention, right? The delegates made a decision on who they wanted to be their candidate for Secretary of State um, without all the information. And that's too bad. And now statewide, you know, we're going to have an election uh, where, you know, one candidate was, is, is weakened and, and the other candidate is bolstered not because of their ideas and not because of th- their governing philosophy or their accomplishments or anything like that, uh, but because, you know, one candidate imploded because he was a flawed candidate, shouldn't have been on the ballot in the first place. That doesn't do North Dakota, the state of North Dakota, any good at all. Right? We, we, we are benefited when qualified, competent, energetic candidates engage one another in a debate, and then we get to choose from among them. That's what serves us best, and unfortunately, we're not going to get that in the Secretary of State race. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Anyway, we can continue talking about that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to hit on here. Hey, did you see this uh, this court case about Trump and Twitter? I did not. What's going on? All right. So a a federal court held yesterday that President Donald Trump cannot block Twitter users. It violates their First Amendment. The court hold their First Amendment rights. The court held what? That because make President any Trump sense. is a public figure. And and there's there's actually I mean it's it's actually sort of an interesting I, I mean it's it's really sort of the first of its kind in um it, it it's really sort of, sort sort of the first you know case of its kind because I mean a public official using social media and essentially that the court is holding that because President Trump is an elected and, it, and by the way it's not his it's not his POTUS account like like the official president of the united states account it's his real donald trump at, so i mean his his twitter handle that he was using even back when he was a private citizen what they're saying is is that because he uses it in an official capacity that his he can't block people because because he's a public figure and he's using it in a public capacity and then becomes a public forum uh at which time people have to have equal access to it and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I mean, first of all, Twitter is not a public forum. And I, and I don't think that somebody, because a public figure starts using a private service, I don't think that that automatically changes that private service into a public forum. You know, if President Trump, everybody who uses Twitter agrees to the terms of service when they sign up for Twitter. Right now, you don't have to you don't have to be a Twitter user. You don't have to be a registered user to read President Trump's tweets. You don't even have to be logged in. You could just go to his Twitter page and read all his tweets. You do have to be logged in if you want to respond to him or if you want to retweet him or whatever. If you want to interact with his tweets, you have to be logged in. And when you log in, you agree to Twitter's terms of service. And by and part of those terms of service is understanding that you can block people. You can mute people. Other people can block you and mute you. And so what I don't understand is why the president of the United States can't use Twitter in the same way everybody else uses Twitter. I mean, if it's, if it's violating somebody, and by the way, First Amendment rights cover your right to speech, right? I, I don't know that they necessarily cover your right to uh, interact with the president's tweets. That's the thing I don't understand. So what do you think? Do, do you think that the court has it right if President Trump wants to block somebody on Twitter? Is that a violation of their First Amendment rights? 
Now, that's what a court held on Wednesday. What do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report talking about President Trump, a federal court. And by the way, over the uh, over the break, I had a uh, had a listener, Kyle, a message. He goes, what court ordered the Trump Twitter ruling? Was it a state court or a federal court? Uh, also, the public can still access him through his official presidential account, or, you know, they could send him a letter. Uh, it was a federal court, and the federal court essentially held that because President Trump uh, is a obviously a public official, uh, and because he uses his his Twitter, even though it's his personal Twitter handle, uses it to disseminate basically official messages, that it then becomes a public forum, and he can't ban people on Twitter. And I I disagree with the court. I don't think that's the appropriate ruling. I, I think everybody who uses Twitter agrees to the terms of service, understanding you can be blocked, you can be muted, you can still access the president's tweets. Even if even if the president were to block you, you can still access his tweets by locking by logging in. You can still read them, and they're widely reported everywhere anyway. Um, so the idea that blocking people is is you know preventing them from accessing public information, I think, is is a little silly. But what do you think? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Tom, you're on. What's up? Yeah, well, yeah, the way I look at it, uh, he's using it as a public forum. And there's This is a new precedent, of course, for uh, the way things are dealt with uh, with the media now, with uh, of course like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. So the laws have got to catch up with these things. Well, Trump has used it like this, and I agree with the court that way. I mean, uh, he doesn't really hold press conferences. All he does is have Sarah Sanders march out there and uh, and talk to the public. I mean, basically um, telling everybody, well, re- defer to legal counsel or. We'll get yeah. back to you on that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the only time he ever has anything public to say is either right before he jumps on, on a helicopter and he can only take one question and he yells out what he wants the public to hear. He doesn't take questions from the media, no. from the press. He just, I, I uh, just blatantly says whatever he wants to say. Well, yeah. having somebody to block everybody's opinion of what he's going to say in the press should probably start to... Uh, Questioning him the same way. Say, well, Tom, I don't, I don't. Questions in Tom, public. Just do it by uh, use Twitter. Tom, I don't, I, I don't think Go your criticism. It. I don't think your criticism is unfair. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about, what the president should hold more press conferences. He should be more accessible to the press. He should answer more questions. I don't think that's unfair. My problem with the court's ruling, though, is I think you're just seeing it through the lens of Trump. What I'm seeing it through is what this means for all public officials. Um, who, who might be using social media. And my problem is, is the courts are essentially turning what are private companies into de facto public utilities. And I don't, I don't think that's the, the, the case. I, I don't think that, that because a public official walks into a venue that that necessarily then changes that venue's ability, uh, you know, the, the, their terms of, of, of service to the public. For, for instance, if a public official, say, rents a, a, a convention hall at a convention center and he walks in, does that mean all of a sudden that convention center, say, uh, dress code? No matter, no, no, no longer applies. So, for instance, if it's like a restaurant, that restaurant now has to let people in who aren't wearing shoes in that sort of an instance. So I, 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 I disagree. I don't want to start treating Twitter and Facebook like they're public services, they're public utilities. I don't think that's right. Uh, but I do. I also don't think President Trump should be blocking people at Twitter. I would prefer him not to do that, but I don't think it violates anyone's First Amendment rights if he does that. Do you understand that argument? 
Well, you know, that's something that's going to have to be looked at a little more carefully. But yeah. the president does use his uh, Twitter account like, uh, boy, like nobody's business. I mean, Obama yeah. used his Twitter yeah, account to some degree. Yeah. But uh, and, uh, not, and I want to, I want to be, I want to be clear. It. And he was just yeah. accessible, no matter whatever. Yeah. I mean, he was, he would hold a radio conference uh, at least what, once a week, and then uh, of course he had press yeah. tra- press conferences on a regular basis. Well, and t- he would and actually I, show up. Yeah, and I and I, and I want to be clear. We're we're talking about President Trump's personal Twitter handle. We're we're not talking about the at POTUS account. That's the official president of the United States account. That's not the one we're talking about. We're talking about well, the the real Donald Trump one, gonna, his if, personal one. If his, if his Twitter account is going to be considered official White House positions, then he should be using that one, not the private one. See, but so, I, I've wondered, I've wondered you know, about this. Abusing uh, his uh, uh, Twitter account, in my, you know, the way I'm yeah. looking at it. All right. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate yeah. it. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Eric, I've often wondered this because we've seen it flare up every once in a while. We saw it flare up earlier in the Senate race where Democrats kind of went after Kevin Kramer because, you know, he, he I think, oh, he tweeted back at Mike McFeely from his official U.S. House account, and, and they, they sort of uh, accused him of using his official Twitter account for, for personal. So all these members of Congress, they have like an official account and then a campaign account. I always thought that was kind of dumb. Like, what's the point of that? Yeah. I, 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 I mean, would agree with that. It doesn't cost anything. I mean, I, I understand we don't want them using public resources to campaign. I get that. But Twitter's free. Right. Twitter doesn't cost anything. You know, I, I don't I don't see I, I we're going to have to update some of this stuff for the social media era, because I, I think I think some of it's a little silly. I don't think these guys I think these uh, these guys and gals in office need to have two different accounts to tweet from and gosh knows there's people watching you every second to make sure that you're doing it right yeah. <laughs> i don't think and also i, I don't I, even if you're even if president trump blocks you i really don't think that in, inhibits your ability to find out what trump's saying on twitter it all gets reported every right. tweet it's all over the place 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com dan emails uh, i think the courts have better things to waste our tax dollars on. Well, I mean, it's not like the courts did this unilaterally. There were people who were blocked by the president on Twitter who then brought suit, you know, claiming that their First Amendment rights. Now, the courts agreed with them, though, and I, I think the I think the courts erred. I think it. I think the courts. I and I hope that I hope ultimately this gets overturned on appeal, because again, I mean, th- think about what this means. Like if if. If your congressman or your senator or, or your state lawmaker or whoever is holding, um, you know, they're holding some sort of an event in a restaurant, um, does that mean that that if a restaurant bans somebody who's not wearing a shirt from coming in, that they're violating that person's First Amendment rights? Because that's really the same on Twitter, right? I mean, Twitter provides their users the ability to mute other users or to block other users to, you know, prohibit interaction with them. Well, how is that really any different than a restaurant's policy of no shoes, no shirt, no service? Right. Like if you don't if you don't behave a certain way, they're not going to let you in. So uh, the implications for this are interesting. Anyway, interesting case. Hey, City Commissioner Tony Garrett coming on next. We're going to talk about this special assessment thing. Man, he's getting attacked from the left and right. I think the guy deserves credit for putting his finger on a hot button issue that wasn't on anyone else's radar. Agree with or disagree with his solution. I think he deserves credit for identifying the issue. More to come straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970, WDY AM 93.1 FM. 
Well, you've heard a lot about special assessments in the Fargo area because, well, the man I'm about to talk to kind of Tony, a little bit, a little bit of a bonfire when you brought up the special assessments issue. Your argument is, uh, hey, let's get rid of them and fund them a different way than what we're doing now, or fund the projects at special assessments fund uh, a different way. And uh, I, I don't know that everybody agrees with your approach, but I think everyone agrees that special assessments are a problem we need to look at, especially given how everybody's reacted. You've got every other candidate in the Fargo City Commission race talking about special assessments. The city commission has now backed down. Uh, a, a few years ago, they went to 50-50 on special assessments. Now we're back to the 70-30 split. Um, I, I, I Honestly, Tony, I, I think in some ways you ought to be patting yourself on the back just for what you've already accomplished. There's been, hey, Rob, there's been a seismic shift in the conversation. You know, I've run for commissioner a few times now, and every time, every time I can remember that we had a debate or we had interviews, it was about how to grow government, how to fund a convention center, or how to fund a performing arts center, or how, how can we get more bike lanes, how can we make government bigger and grander, how can we get a, a new city hall for $35 million. And this is the first time that I can remember that the entire conversation is based on how can we reduce the impact of government on people, and especially in the realm of special assessments. So, yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for that, because when this debate started, you can bet that Linda Boyd and Tim Flackle don't want to talk about ways to reduce government. They want to talk about ways to spend money. Um, but now they're, they're forced because the people want to know how they're going to fix this debacle with uh, special assessments. And quite frankly, I'm the only candidate out there who's saying, we can end these things, and here's how you do it. Tell me how we went to the 50-50 split we have now, because that really happened not so long ago. And if I'm understanding correctly, I I think some people, and Eric and I brought this up, uh, Eric brought this up to me over the break, but I think some, some current, and I, I haven't looked it up, but did some current members of the city commission vote to go to that 50-50 split that we were at that, that was clearly upsetting a lot of people? Yeah, uh, yes. So uh, in 2015, I think it was in November, uh, it was brought up to us that uh, the, the the mayor and, and others wanted to go to this 50-50 split because we, we apparently didn't have enough money in the special assessments fund, despite the fact we took out $7 million in the last five years out of that fund and put it in the general fund. But, uh, you know, they, they said we needed more money for special assessments, therefore we, sh- we should go from a 70-30 basic split to a 50-50 split, and everyone voted for that except for me. And I said at the time that this feels like a tax increase because it is a tax increase, and people are going to notice. And the commissioners at the time were the mayor, uh, Dave, uh, uh, Mike and Melissa Soblick, and uh, you know, three of those people are, are running for for reelection, and, and, and including myself. Um, and I was the only one to vote no against that. So when this vote came up last uh, or this last meeting, and people say, "Oh, Tony, why did you vote to do that?" Of course, you, you must not believe in your plan. I didn't vote to go to 50/50 in the first place. So why would I change my vote then? Uh, I didn't. I never wanted 50/50, and I, I said then it's a tax increase, and we can do better. And by the way, Rob, at that meeting in 2015, I said the first thing out of my mouth was, "We need to end the special assessments." So for people saying that this is a this is all of a sudden a uh, issue for the campaign, complete nonsense. My first year in office, I called for special assessments to be ended. Now you're getting slammed by a lot of people. Um, that is true. My, co- my colleague Mike McFeely is saying, I mean, saying that, that, that I, I guess kind of calling you a liar. Uh, and, and everything else, a lot of, and, and I, I see uh, Linda Boyd has a, uh, and by the way, I reached out to Linda Boyd. We're going to try to get her on the program tomorrow because I want to make sure that we're giving equal access to, to everybody who's in this debate. Uh, and I've had, I've had Tim Flacco on previously as well. Um, but we, uh, I mean, she accuses you of name calling and insult throwing uh, in a, in a Fargo forum article today. So I, 
I, I think that's unfortunate because again, um, you know, you've, you've thrown out an idea for special assessments and I understand that maybe not everybody agrees with that, but I don't think there's any denying that you started a real debate here that I, well, I don't think it was on anybody's radar prior to this. Well, there's a certain level of frustration from the big government types that are mad that we're not talking about ways to spend money. They want to be talking about convention centers and performing arts centers. Uh, and what I have now is we have a, a field of people who did not, this was not on their radar before, who are now forced to talk about special assessments. And I got to tell you, that's amazing. That's amazing that this has become the issue yeah. because it, this is one of those really important things that needs to be fixed. You know, me blasting bad policy is not a personal attack on anybody. We as the commissioners set the policy. The employees from then carry out the policy. So when I say that this policy is bad and should end, and we're doing things that are underhanded by taking money out of the assessment fund, putting it in the general fund, that's a policy. So that is not an attack on any city employee. And to suggest that it is, is, again, underhanded. Uh, and it's a way for the status quo to defend themselves. And, and don't kid yourself, Rob. The status quo is, is in damage control at this point. They know people are angry about special assessments. They know the people of Fargo did not know this is how special assessments were being carried out. Now they know, and now they're retreating. Let me let me run you through it. By the way, if people want to call in with comments or questions, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Or you could tweet me at Rob Port. Now, I, I want to run you through because Linda, Linda makes some charges in her, uh, Linda Boyd, who's one of your opponents for, for the Fargo City Commission, um, made, um, made some, some accusations or, or, or some, some points in her letter to the uh, Fargo Forum today. Here's one of them. Uh, I, and I, I want you to respond to some of these. Uh, first one, I quote, Tony is using a figure of $13 million as the annual cost of infrastructure improvements, a figure he arrived at by averaging five years of projects, include, including two very low project years. The correct figure for 2019 is $28 million, and future years will likely be in the 24 to $28 million range. So if one were to apply Gehrig's uh, proposed approach, Fargoan's utility bills would nearly triple, reaching over $130 per month uh, just for just the water and sewer portion of the bill. What's your response to that? I mean, she's basically saying you got your figures wrong. Yeah, so her, her plan is to go back to 70-30, which has already happened, so therefore she has no future plan to fix specials any further. At the meeting, we learned that by going to that 70-30 split, where the government has to come up with that extra 20%, because we were at 50, right, and so now we're going to 70, we are going to have to cut projects in order to do that. So she's claiming that I don't provide enough money in the pot in order to make it happen, but her very plan did the exact same thing. The moral of the story is we're assessing far too much, and we're trying to do too much in every single year. We have an incentive to assess you, and that is that the more we assess you, the more money we can put into the general fund. The moral of the story is we are assessing too much every single year. We need to prioritize our spending, and that $13 million is plenty of money uh, on a yearly basis to get the projects done. Uh, so I, I, I don't think uh, that she foresaw the fact that going to a 70-30 split would actually cut the number of projects, but the thing she's accusing me of is exactly what her plan did in reality. So what you're saying is, is yeah, you're, you're going to reduce the revenue, right? You're going to reduce the revenue available, but you also want to prioritize spending and not do so much spending. Is that fair? I am, I am right-sizing the, the special assessments to where they should okay. be. All right. She also says, because you came out about this additional 1% um, interest, 
uh, she, she said here, I'm going to quote from her letter. The additional 1% interest is actually the city complying with North Dakota state law. The North Dakota Century Code section on special assessments allows cities to charge additional interest up to 1.5% in order to create a reserve fund to cover shortfalls, which may occur through property owner default or natural disasters affecting properties such as floods. Uh, the Century Code also directs any remaining funds to be transferred to the city's general fund. As a side note, Go, uh, Garrick voted in favor of every special assessment district for the past four years. Now, that's something you said that, that was a little bit sneaky that the city was doing this. Mm-hmm. She said, I, 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 I got to quibble a little bit. She's saying complying with federal law. I don't know if that's the right word to use. State law gives cities like Fargo the option to do right. this. Saying complying is like state laws requiring them to do it. The city of Fargo is not required to do it. They can do it. But, but respond to, to, to the charge she's making here. Well, first of all, we were told that that 1% was what she explained earlier, that there was a reserve fund for the, for the assessments. It was never mentioned to us or told to us directly that uh, this money would be then transferred out instead of paying down all other debt within that same fund. So on one hand, in 2015, we're being told that we don't have enough money in that fund, so we need to go to a 50-50 split. And on the other hand, we are taking money out of that account at a rate of $1.5 million per year uh, to do the same thing. No one knew about that, okay? And people who say that they know about that didn't. Uh, The mayor was basically the only one that was holding on to that. Um, So, yes, I I think that uh, when I voted for the special assessments uh, at that time, it was under the the assumption that that, from what I was told, that, uh, yeah, it was going to be reserved, and I understand that. We don't need a 1% reserve. I offered at the meeting last, uh, the last meeting that we go down to a 0.5, and that was basically laughed at by the mayor uh, to say, well, that's, that's not enough. Well, it's not enough because we want revenue from that fund. You know, the biggest thing I think people should take away from Linda's, Linda's article is that she is attacking my plan repeatedly, but she does not offer a plan to fix special assessments. Basically, her plan has been achieved, 70-30, which has then reduced the amount that we can, that we can, that we can do for projects. Um, so I, I just find it interesting that in an article based on special assessments, she offers no additional plan to make it any better all right let's get to some calls uh we got uh caller uh cory go on go ahead cory what's up good afternoon guys <clears throat> well one of the problems i find with special assessments and um my job is actually kind of dependent on home building in the area so uh, i kind of cut my own um cut my own lifeline here i guess if you will but uh the problem i have with special assessments is when the city does them um like Tony has mentioned, the 15 to 30% administration and engineering fees we put on. But we also, we also say they have to do these developments a certain way. There's only one way for them to do it, which also adds cost. The other cost that is hidden, and it gets buried in the lot prices, is these developers now can come in, get the lots, and there's not, they don't have the cash outlaid put the pressure on them to sell these lots in somewhat of a timely manner. There's no reason for them to drop these prices. It creates a distortion in the market when the city acts as the bank for these developers and takes away their risk. Um, yeah, Corey, thanks. So that's how I feel about it. And then one thing I guess I was just want to know, if it stays at 70-30, what specials do those affect? Do those affect all specials or only specials on rework and not new development? The Thanks. answer is rework. So it's, it's on existing. That's right. Uh, so on, okay. on the new stuff that you're talking about, we, my plan would say that 100% of that cost goes to the developer, which then gets rolled into your mortgage instead of being especially assessed to you. One thing, uh, Corey's right on, on a lot of what he's saying there. One thing I want people to kind of fathom or think about here is 
if, if you're going to live in our area, that's the FM area, Horace, Fargo, West Fargo, Moorhead, Mapleton, the whole area here, and you had a choice to live anywhere, but one of those cities did not have special assessments, where would you decide to live? And I, I have proof for you on that one. The mayor of West Fargo was on with Jay Thomas last week on the radio, and he said, and Jay asked him a direct question, if, if Fargo gets rid of special assessments, what's West Fargo going to do? And the mayor of West Fargo said, we're going to have to do the same thing. Because he knows, that everyone knows, that if we do this, people will flock to, to Fargo, build here, live here, plant roots here. You will see an economic boom for the city of Fargo. People will come out of apartments. People will buy homes. People will, from other cities will come to us because they know this is a huge burden on the average homeowner, on the average taxpayer, and uh, you won't be able to assess out of your home if you live in Fargo. Let's go to the next caller. John, you're on. What's up, John? Did you hear me? Oh, there we go. Yep. Now, yeah, hey, John. Hey, Tony. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, first of all, I haven't heard you say that everything you've uh, looked at doing or, or, or talked about doing has been implied that it's going to be Tony's way or no way. So I'm really glad, you know, that you started this hornet's nest because I'm looking at the current commission rate and I'm looking at a bunch of former commissioners who sat by while all this went. And mystically, as well as a state legislator, and mystically, not one of them did anything to stop this issue that has been talked about numerous times over the years in relation to the specials and in relation to the constant rising property taxes and assessment values that we're suffering in this town. Not one of them has proposed anything until, oh, look at this, Tony decides to say something about it and make it an actual issue. And, yeah, okay, you can yeah. argue that your timing was maybe, you know, suspicious you know, however you want to do it, but we know you've been working on it for quite a while anyways, you know, those yeah. who actually follow you. And, I, and I'll tell you, I just don't get it, and I don't get why uh, more voters have taken this long to get involved with this issue. Keep up the good fight, Tony. Thanks, John. And, you know, people know now, and uh, I think that something will happen that's far better than the seven that we currently have. Uh, we've got one quick email. Mike says, I just want to thank Tony for fighting the good fight. I've listened to both sides and agree he's on the people's side. But, Tony, that's all the time we got. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, this debate's going to keep going. So sure is. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, Tony Garrett, candidate, a Fargo City Commissioner candidate for re-election. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Just a couple minutes here because we went a little long with uh, Tony Garrett. Got a couple of emails uh from earlier in the show rob did i just hear your producer say that he hates it when news people twist the truth that is all mainstream media and liberal media does i don't i don't think that's true listen every news story is an opinion it really is i mean even i i think i think most reporters try to to be fair um but listen anytime you start making decisions this should be the headline we should include these quotes uh we should not include these quotes we should use this picture those are all opinions um, and I, I, I think the one problem the news industry does have is they don't have a lot of ideological diversity. They don't have a lot of viewpoint diversity. And that's a problem. I think if they did, I think a lot of the problems maybe we see with bias, if, if they had some other voices in the newsroom, uh, voicing some dissenting opinions, it, it might be a little bit more balanced coming out. Uh, let's see another email. Rob uh, talking about uh, Trump and, and the court saying uh, Trump, it's, it's illegal, unconstitutional for President Trump to block people on Twitter. Emailer says, Rob, I kind of agree with you. But if he uses it instead of a public messages over the radio or TV, then nobody should be banned from interactions with him. Will CNN or ABC be banned from the White House next? Uh, and he needs to get his phone secured. Remember how bad that was uh, when Clinton done it. Uh, that was from Scott. Uh, 
you know, I agree. The thing is, is that nobody's saying that, that, that they can't read his tweets on Twitter, right? If you log out of your account, you could still access his, his tweets on Twitter. You just can't necessarily interact with them. Um, and, and again, my, my problem is that I don't think the president should block people on Twitter um, because he is the president. But I think we shouldn't be using treating Twitter or Facebook like they're a public utility. Um, Mona says, Rob, please ask the question to Tony. Who would pay for what special assessments pay for now? Uh, would this expense fall on the builders? So if it wouldn't get that passed, get, wouldn't that get passed on to the homeowner? Just trying to understand. Yes, sorry, Tony was on. We'll try to get that question to him later. Uh, we got to take a break. We'll be back. Uh, independent Secretary of State candidate Al Jagger joins me next. Don't go away. Joining me now is Secretary of State Al Jagger. Now, Mr. Jagger was uh, going to run uh, for re-election for his office earlier this year, was but was defeated uh, at the NDGOP convention for the Republican endorsement, opted not to put his name on the June primary after that. Uh, since then, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you're aware of the situation with uh, Will Gardner, who was the Republican candidate who did win at the convention. Uh, he has since dropped out of the race after it was uh, made public that he had a 2006 disorderly conduct conviction uh, related to him peeping into windows. Um, Mr. Gardner's exit from the race uh, afterwards, uh, Jagger, Mr. Jagger, who we're about to speak to in a moment, uh, decided to get into the race saying that he will run as an independent on the general election ballot. Uh, Mr. Jagger, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing fine, Rob. Um, tell us about your decision to get back in the race. Was it really you You saw Gardner, you saw what happened with Will Gardner? Is that what prompted it? Well, essentially, because, you know, up until that news broke, uh, I had no um, plans necessarily to attempt any other, other um, you know, try to try to be reelected, and so... Uh, when that news broke, uh, obviously that changed everything, and so I decided at that time that uh, that's something that I decided a year ago that I wanted to do, and so uh, it wasn't a hard decision for me to uh, go ahead and, and pursue this particular route. It's the only practical way of doing it, uh, because uh, there's no way that uh, a candidate can, uh, regardless of, of the situation and regardless of the people, regardless of the political party, um, we're past the time where where anyone could, uh, under these circumstances, could be identified with that political party um, in the November election. Uh, for instance, the only option would be a, is to have a, a write-in candidate, candidate and uh, that, that write-in candidate would have to receive more votes than the person whose name was on the ballot. And since we already have over 10,000, probably uh, today over 11,000 ballots, that have been cast already, uh, you know, it would be Im- virtually impossible for a write-in candidate to be able to uh, receive the number of votes that would be required to be identified with the political party. And so the only uh, viable uh, option is to uh, run as a as a independent candidate. Now, w- were you aware at all at, at the convention of, of Mr. Gardner's disorderly conduct conviction? Did you have any knowledge of that at all? No, no, not at all. First time I heard it was Friday night. I was returning from Fargo, and I received a telephone call uh, alerting me to what was posted on the forum website. Uh, and uh, that's the first that I that I heard about it. And uh, any speculation to the contrary 
you know, is 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 really just speculation because it is it wouldn't be true. Um, you know, the thing is is that had information like this been known by anybody prior to the uh, convention, that possibly something that would have surfaced. But Friday night was the first that I heard about it. We've got a caller on the line, uh, Karen. Go ahead, Karen. What's up? Yes, please discuss the state computer system and updating it. Uh, yes, well, where we're at right now is that uh, uh, it's a project that's been underway for three years um, uh, because of the complexity of it and the funding and the and the background research and everything that went into it. And so uh, by this summer, uh, either July, August, somewhere in there, uh, we'll be deploying an online system uh, where uh, annual reports will be able to be filed online, uh, registrations will be able to be done online, contractor applications, contract renewals, virtually everything um, uh, that we have in our office now will be online. We've already had an online system for over two years uh, that lenders use every day in terms of uh, doing the filing and searching of loans that they make to businesses and uh, and, uh, and for agriculture purposes and what have you. So uh, by the end of the summer, uh, we're going to be in great shape uh, with uh, our technology. And uh, right now we're on track with that program uh, with the programming that's done. Um, I think it's going to be one of the better ones in the country. Thanks for the call, Karen. 701-293-9000. If you want to join the program, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Now, obviously, you um, i mean, you, you put your name out. You have to collect signatures at this point to get your name on the ballot as an independent. And you, and you know this process better than anybody. You're the Secretary of State. But it, t- tell us what exactly you have to do to get your name on the general as an independent. Well, uh, essentially, you've just described it. Uh, there's a petition process to obtain, uh, you know, thousand names. Uh, you know, as what's been very gratifying, and I've been very grateful the last couple of days. We already have over 150 signatures. Uh, people from across the state have contacted me. Uh, right now, uh, I've sent out or whatever transmitted uh, at least over 30 petitions. I know in some of those cases, those people have forwarded on to others. Uh, I would suspect that it's going to be a relatively short period of time and will uh, easily have exceeded the 1,000 signatures required. They don't actually have to be filed until September, but uh, we want to get our signatures as quickly as possible. Now, at the convention, Will Gardner um, made an argument about your your time in office. Now, you've you've been in office for a long time. You have a ton of ton of name recognition. Um, obviously, you've been doing something right because North Dakota voters have been electing you time and again um, since the early 1990s. So, I mean that that's that's a track record that that I think speaks pretty strongly. That said. At the convention, Will Gardner, you know, made an argument saying that, that that in some ways you hadn't been quick enough to update some of the technology in your office uh, and, and, and some issues like that. Republicans at that convention um, bought his argument as as you know te- testified by the fact that they voted for Will Gardner uh, over you and gave him the majority of their votes. Now, your Will Gardner's out. You're now going to be uh, on on the ballot as an independent, and and I I suspect the NDGOP is going to. Uh, issue some sort of a letter or a statement endorsing you. Um, 
But I think the Democratic candidate, Josh Boucher, is is probably going to make the same argument that Will Gardner made at that convention that convention delegates bought into. So, so what's your rebuttal at this point? I mean, when 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 Josh Boucher comes out and say, "Listen, I'm making the same argument uh, his his Republican opponent made that Republicans bought into," uh, how, how do you, how do you rebut that? Well, you know, the thing is, is is, is both of them uh, have indicated that when if they were elected, that they would modernize the office. And what I did prior to the convention, and I said it at the convention, is that uh, in in response to the uh, individual which is called i just explained what we're doing by the end of the summer we're going to we're going to be one of the best in the nation and so uh i'm not sure what either one of the candidates would have done come january in terms of modernizing the office because uh, by the summer it's going to be done and so there's history here there's a rest of the story in terms of why some things didn't work out some things we were forced into the fact is is that we took a situation uh, for instance, the 24-7 uh, filing system that's been un- underway for two years, if we hadn't taken the initiative uh, under the, the previous plan, that, that would still not be done. But we got it done. Uh, we were able to get it done. Uh, the 2015 legislative session gave us the funding that we needed. And so we're on track now. Uh, everything is great. And so the argument that... Uh, but we, or what what we talked about, I talked about the excitement in the office. I talked about what is happening in the office. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll go ahead with the same presentation. And if uh, opponents want to uh, say they're going to modernize the office, uh, apparently they want to take it to. I mean, we're it, it's going to be done, and it is right now in the process. So. Uh, I guess they can, you know, if that's what they want to talk about, we're going to talk about our achievements. We got a caller on the line, Tammy. Go ahead, Tammy. You're on with Secretary of State Al Jagger. Um, Al, I just want you to know, as you probably remember, many of us did support you because we did the research at the before the convention and talked to you, and we know you've been working three years on on the technology. We know it was going to come out this fall, and and it was incredibly. It was real hard for many of us because we know that you've done the work, and we had faith in you, and we did support you. So not everybody at the convention went the other way, and I just want you to know I'm so glad you're back in the race because we need you there to follow through and to make sure that your staff has the follow-through over the next four years. Yeah, and I should I should make it clear. I mean, uh, the uh, Will Gardner did win the majority of the votes, but um, you know there there were quite a few votes for for you as well, Secretary Jagger. Well, there were, and I think uh, I'm I'm very appreciative of what the caller has just indicated because what the caller just indicated is it, that's the truth. Uh, that's what we were doing, and so it was difficult to uh, you know we stayed the high road. We we said this is what we're doing, and um, that isn't what was portrayed uh, necessarily, uh, and is in going forward probably won't be portrayed that way. But the truth is, the record will show that we're we're doing it. It's going to be done, and it's going to be great. How, how are you going to have to approach? Are you, are you are you going to approach this campaign any differently? I mean, every every other time that you've been on the ballot, you've been on the ballot as. A Republican. Obviously, this is a very unusual circumstance this time around. Is it going to change your approach to the race at all? 
No, I don't think so because I've always campaigned in terms of of our, our accomplishments, and, and uh, you know nothing's going to change uh, uh, in regard to that. Uh, the uh, as you mentioned earlier, my hope is that the the process that that the party has set up, which is appropriate, and I don't have a problem with that. Um, they're going to provide a letter of support to an individual that they're going to they're going to select in June at their state meeting in Fargo, and this is no different than what happens uh, with the Department of Public Instruction, Superintendent of Public Instruction, the letter of support. Uh, that individual, uh, Kristen Baszler, received the, you know the same kind of. She was included in mailing. She was included in whatever, uh, and so uh, uh, you know the same thing is going to happen. I, I would suspect with me, I'll, I'll be you know the, the party will will give us the normal support that they would would do. Uh, you know the thing is over the years, uh, and even after the convention, uh, but this has been true during my entire uh, time. Um, there are a lot of people that vote for me because I'm Al Jager. I have Democrats vote for me. I have other people vote for me. They don't vote for me because I'm. A, some of them certainly do, and I'm identified with the Republican Party. But the way I have, uh, the way we've done uh, my record in the office reflects in, in the people. Um, I, I receive votes because of who I am and not necessarily the party that I'm affiliated with. All right, last question. Have you have you spoken to Will Garner at all since uh, since he dropped out of the race? Uh, yes, we've had uh, two discussions. It was a very kind of him on uh, on Sunday. He he called me to tell me he was withdrawing. Uh, it was uh, very kind because uh, had I not known, uh, within a matter of a few hours, I was called by members of the media, uh, you know, wanting to know what I was going to do. And if he hadn't been kind enough to give me a heads up, I would have been, you know, kind of blindsided with the news, you know, of his withdrawal. And so, um, you know, I really appreciated him doing that. And I did, I did uh, thank him for doing that. And it allowed us uh, just even a brief time to, you know, going into Monday, because, you know, at the time I was called on Sunday afternoon, uh, we really didn't know what the law allowed. And so, you know, that was sorted out Monday morning in terms of what the options are. Obviously, the write-in uh, uh, option, it just isn't feasible for anybody. Uh, and so, again, I yeah. think it's important that the people, you know, remember that, well, this is the situation. This could have happened in, you know, in any political party, you know, in, in any sure. other type of office. And it's probably something that's going to need to be tweaked in the next next session um, because of you know what what's happened now and stuff. So one 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 last question. I think the expectation is is that Will is going to decline the nomination because I, I the expectation is that he'll win the June. He's running unopposed at this point. Um, that that he will d- decline the nomination after he wins on the June primary ballot because he's going to win by default. Did did Will indicate to you that that is what he's going to do? Well, his words to me was that he was withdrawing. Okay. And All right. So I, I can, and the other question, uh, Rob, that I think is is important too, um, with the withdrawal, um, his his name will not appear on the November ballot. Okay. So so, so right now, uh, you know, just uh, assuming for a moment that I am the one that is 
selected by the Republican Party for a letter of support. Uh, I will. I would be on the ballot as an independent. Uh, the Democrat candidate would be on the ballot, and the Libertarian candidate would be on the ballot. The Republican Party would not have a candidate for Secretary of State on the ballot identified as a Republican. Gotcha. Al, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. You're welcome. That's uh, Secretary of State Al Jagger. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. That's Secretary of State rates. It's going to be an interesting one. Going to be an interesting, interesting dynamic there where the Republicans aren't even going to have a candidate for uh, for Secretary of State. Um, hey, Ben, you know what drives me nuts? All these boycotts all the time. Do you boycott things? Uh, I've never boycotted anything, I don't think. Yeah, neither have I. I'm just reading an article here. Uh, Netflix recently signed a deal for content with Barack and Michelle Obama, mm-hmm. first, former first president, uh, president, first lady. Um, and so there's there's a lot of conservatives out there saying, oh, we're, we're going to boycott Netflix now. And this isn't unusual. I mean, we saw, you know, as a result, for instance, of the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, we saw people boycotting certain banks this the city of seattle as a matter of fact said that they weren't gonna bank you know do their city banking with wells fargo anymore now of course they had to come back to wells fargo because no other bank would take their business after that uh, but we see it all the time you know oh, boycott chick-fil-a or boycott this movie or boycott that actor or whatever uh because of politics and i just think it's all dumb i i i think it's dumb like netflix provides a great service at a great value why would you boycott them because they have content on there you don't like I mean, just don't watch it if you don't want to watch watch it. it. Yeah. You don't want to see it, don't see it. They got lots of great documentaries. They got lots of great stuff on there. Mm -hmm. Why, why boycott it? I, it just, it's just so dumb to me. Now that being said, I, I think the Barack Obama stuff, I think it's probably not going to be very good. I think it's going to suck. And I say that not just because of my politics. I say that because of the way they're going about doing it. I, I think anytime you see a studio go out and they sign a big deal with somebody and then it's like, well, we're going to sign a name and then figure out what we're going to do with that person later, I think usually the resulting content's not very good because the impetus for the deal was not the content but the person. And now it's almost right. like, well, now that we've, now we've got this person under content contract, now we've got to find content for them to, 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 to produce or to be involved in. I mean, do we just even- – I? That doesn't typically end well. Like, what, what have they said what kind of content it's going to be? Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff. It's, it's a multi-year, quote, storytelling partnership that will include films and series produced by Higher Ground Productions, uh, a company created by the Obamas to produce content. Um, but, you know, basically it's, it's just they, they just signed a deal and then they're going to come out and, and produce content. And I, I don't know. And, and maybe I'll, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll be great. It's just in my experience, this sort of thing usually doesn't end well. But whatever. I mean, maybe some people will love it. They'll watch it on Netflix uh, and they'll enjoy it. And that's great. Um, I don't know if I'll watch it or not. Depends on what they come up with and if I find it interesting or not. And I want to spend my time on it. But generally, you know, just calm down. You know, all this stuff. I'm going to boycott this. I'm going to boycott that. It's just dumb. Stop with the boycotting all the time. Mm-hmm. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I, I've, I have never in my life, I tell you what, as a conservative, Ben, if I stopped watching movies that had liberals in them. You'd have nothing to watch. <laughs> I'd have nothing to watch. Well, I don't care. 
More to come straight ahead. This is the Rob Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAYM, 93.1 FM. What does everybody think of this new NFL rule thing? You see this new NFL thing on the on the anthem protest, Ben? You yep. an NFL fan? You you a football fan? I'm not a big football fan, but I did see this. You did see this. Yep. I'm not a big football. I don't particularly like football that much either. Uh, but the the protest thing, I, I I don't know that the NFL could possibly be handling this any worse. No, I mean they, I mean they have a right whether or not you agree with what they're doing. I think they have a right to protest if they want to, and to say that they can't just. I don't know. I don't know that they have a right to protest. Mm-hmm. Listen, because here's the thing. Um, the NFL is a business. Right. Right. And, and you can say what they want. I mean, they're in publicly subsidized stadiums and et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, they're a private enterprise. They're a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't buy into the idea that because they get public, you know, public subsidies or, or they get, um, you know, waivers from, you know, for like, like antitrust legislation and stuff like that. Uh, I don't buy, to me, to me, that's an argument for ending that sort of special treatment for professional professional sports leagues not curtailing their ability to do their business the way they want to do it for the nfl it's a perception thing i mean this is very much tied in the nfl exists to make money both for themselves and and for players um you know obviously the players have their own union and and it's it's a you know those two you know the the owners and the nfl and then the players you know they work together and it's an enterprise to make money the nfl rightly sees the protests on the field as hurting their ability to make money i mean it hurts their Mm -hmm. revenue it hurts their ratings it's not good for them it's not a good look for the players to bring their politics on the field. And I, I, I got to think that the NFL is probably worried about, well, if, if we treat this these protests a certain way, what happens if other players want to protest, right? Because that's that's the problem is you open the door and you say, well, they have a right to protest. Okay, well, if they have a right, uh, what if the NFL has a player uh, who's got some obnoxious, you know, really obnoxious, you know, political views? Um, like, I don't know, like maybe they're a Nazi or something. I don't think any NFL players are a Nazi, but let's say if they're a Nazi, do they have the same right to protest on the field? Oh, Ben, you're not. I, I can't hear you, Ben. No, I. I feel like that's two very different extremes, though. Like compared to what one side is protesting, as opposed to like you know the hypothetical. Yeah, but if you're gonna if you're gonna invoke it as a right, you've got to treat all speech the same. That's very true. You can't pick and choose what types of speech you're going to allow and which types you're not. Mm -hmm. Like if those players are allowed to kneel, obviously it's very controversial what they're doing. A lot of people don't like it. I don't necessarily like. I I I agree with a lot of the points they're making about police brutality and Black Lives Matter and everything else. I I actually agree with a lot of the points they're trying to make. I think it's a counterproductive way to make those points. I don't like the tactic, but it's very gotcha. controversial what they're doing. So, so I mean, if you're going to open the door, you say we're going to allow controversial political speech during games, during television broadcasts. I mean, I don't think the NFL wants to open the door to that. Does the NFL? What if a, what if a pro life? What 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 is like a born again Christian quarterback wants to bring his pro life views? onto the field are they going to be allowed to do that that would obviously be very polarizing whatever your views on abortion are that would be very polarizing does the nfl have to associate themselves with that i don't think the nfl really wants to associate themselves with any given political position i think they just want to do football and so from that perspective i don't have a problem with the nfl saying listen you got to leave your politics at home you know mcdonald's probably doesn't want their employees to wear make america great again hats while they're serving up cheeseburgers See, now I'm just imagining the fry cook uh, taking a knee as they're getting the order. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you went to McDonald's, that's the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. 
Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would even get the message on that. Like, I don't under, like he's no. making my fries and he's on his knees and I'm like, did he drop right. something? What, what's going on here? Um, I listen, I, my, my point is, is that employers have a right to dictate what's happening. Most employers don't want politics. Walmart doesn't want, you know, their, their, their employees walking around with, with Bernie Sanders stickers on and not when they're on the clock, mm-hmm. you know? Because they don't want their, you know, the NFL has a right to, to, to decide how they want their brand, their business associated with, with politics. Now, if the NFL wants to make a political statement, they have a mechanism, and as an organiz- organization, they can decide to do that. But these players are at work. And so I, I don't have a problem with what the NFL is doing. The thing is, like, like one, one thing that came out that I was surprised at, the, the owners agreed to this new policy where the NFL is going to come down and they're going to, their policy is that if you're on the field during, you don't have to be on the field during the national anthem. The, the, the players, the coaches, the, the, the whatever, the, the, they don't have to be on the field during right. the national anthem. If they are on the field, though, they have to stand and mm-hmm. show respect for the national anthem. Or they can just stay in the locker room. Or they can just stay in the locker room. Those are their choices. Right. If they do kneel, then the team gets fined. Now, some, some team, I, I, there's at least one team owner I saw, was it the, was it the Eagles? I think it was the Eagles. He came out and said that he would pay the fines if the if if the uh, one owner said he would pay the fines if the players want to kneel, which I guess fine. So I don't I don't right. buy into the idea that this is a First Amendment thing. Like, well, the players' First Amendment rights. You don't have a First Amendment right to to have political speech at work. So you don't think if players like try and take this to court that they're going to have much of an argument to stand on? Not in court. Okay. No. I, they can't. I don't. I don't think they can go to court and say. Uh, the NFL is acting unconstitutionally or violating the law. No, the NFL, I think, can set whatever policies they want. Okay. I think where the NFL is going to have a problem, though, they didn't run this by the players' union, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, just just from the from the perspective of the, you know, obviously the NFL's got a lot of their players that are wanting to make a political statement. You know, the the, the players' union is obviously on the side of those players. If you're going to implement a policy like this, maybe you ought to loop in the players' union. I mean, if, if your goal is to make this go away, maybe you should talk to the players' union about it. Well, do we know that why was, they didn't run it by them? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. It's amazing. This is from NBC News. This is a quote from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. It says, we believe today's decision will keep our focus on the game and extraordinary athletes who play it and on our fans who enjoy it. Uh, but then, this now this is from NBC News. This is from the NFL Players Association. I quote, the NFL chose not to consult the union in the development of this new policy. Our union will review the new policy and challenge any aspect of it that's inconsistent with the collective bargaining agreement. Now, I don't know, I don't know what's in the CBA um, about this, and, and in terms of you know, I, I imagine you know the, the the players' ability to make political statements on in uniform or on you know basically on on the clock, so to say. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's collectively bargained or not. But I mean, really, that's the governing contract. I don't know if the NFL. So that's that's a different question. But I just I don't think players have a First Amendment right to protest. I I understand the NFL or or any business for that matter not wanting to associate itself with controversial political views. And uh, but frankly, I mean, I mean, I kind of side with the NFL. Like, if these players want to be activists and they want to have their say on pol- political issues. They certainly can on their own time with their private social media accounts and, and uh, you know, on, on their own personal time. If they want to go to protests or make speeches or whatever, they should be allowed an unlimited amount. That should be their time. They can do with it what they want. 
But when they put the uniform on, when they're on the clock, that's a different matter. You know, just just like, you know, Mc, you know, no McDonald's doesn't want their people in Trump hats. You know, Wendy's right. doesn't want, you know, the drive-through person telling people to vote for Bernie Sanders. You know, th- these companies don't want that. You know what? They don't have to. And if you do that, the company should be able to fire you. That's that's my position. And, you know, so I don't I don't think the NFL's wrong here, but I don't know how, you know, I mean, it, the NFL's in a very different situation because the, the the talent pool of people who can play in the NFL at that caliber is relatively small. Right. And a big chunk of that talent pool wants to be able to say this. So you understand yeah. what I'm saying, though? Because no, no, you, no, you, you were saying you were saying that, that, that they're kind of violating the players' I, rights. I, I do understand what you're saying, and I, you're right. It is tricky when you know you bring up if it is you know acceptable for these people, shouldn't it be for other people? And I definitely yeah. understand what you're saying, like from a business uh, business side of it, why the NFL would make this ruling. It's just, yeah. I, I'm generally like a person who believes like you can say what you want, you just have to accept the consequences of it. And exactly. I guess this is the consequences is they, that they get right. fined. The so. players, the, yeah, the players can make yeah. a choice, and the NFL can make their choice, mm-hmm. and I guess. I guess they're going to have to figure out how to work with one another, but you know, it's it's not necessarily a First Amendment thing. I mean, because think about it: like if you own a business and one of your employees starts making political statements, they're representing your business, and the NFL, you know, doesn't shouldn't necessarily have to be associated with with points of view that they don't want to be associated with. Right. You know, maybe some of the NFL owners agree with with the players who are kneeling; uh, others clearly don't. Um, and some probably just want to play football. I'm sure, yeah, there's plenty of people who are just like, can we get past this and get back to the game? Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a question of decorum here, like like, mm-hmm. like sort of a time and place thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying legally. I mean, I don't think anybody in this is doing anything. The players aren't doing anything illegal. No. The NFL's not doing anything illegal. No. But but I, I think there's a time and place thing, like a decorum thing. You know, like, if, I, I understand that these players have something they want to say. Just don't don't do it in uniform. They, they can stand up for these issues, just not on the field is kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't want to silence the players. I want them to have, I want everybody who has a point of view in America to be able to express that mm-hmm. in a fulsome way and, and be in the debate. Um, but, you know, I, it's, it, it becomes hard when, when you sort of have rights that conflict one another. Because as much as these players have a right to their point of view, the NFL owners have a right to their point of view. And, and not having and, and choosing which points of view that they want to associate themselves with. So that's the tough thing. What do you think of this, this NFL rule? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Now, Ben, we got a call during the break, and the caller wanted us to Google something about getting paid to stand to play the national anthem? Um, No. So what, what it was is um, – he he said that the NFL gets paid to play the national anthem, is I believe what he was trying to say. And I googled it, and I haven't found anything so far on that. Yeah, I I searched for it too. I didn't find anything. I did find this that was interesting though. Yeah. Um, up until two thousand nine, uh, the players weren't required to be on the field for the national anthem. Really? Uh, in fact, it was it was pretty typical process that you know they they'd play the national anthem and they'd be doing all the all the pregame stuff, and then the players would come out after. But they usually, most of them spent the time, uh, the national anthem, in the um, in the locker room. Uh, the NFL made a rule change in in 2009 in order to uh, in order to uh, in order to make the players look more patriotic. 
um, NFL, and, and I'm, I'm reading now, uh, this was actually reported last year, uh, NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy confirmed uh, this morning uh, the practice began in 2009, adding, uh, as you know, the NFL has a long tradition of patriotism. Players are encouraged but not required to stand for the national anthem, but they are required to be out for the national anthem. And that's actually one of the rule changes that the NFL commissioner just cha- just just announced. Um, there was Previously, the game operations manual uh, is being revised to remove the requirement that all players be on the field for the national anthem. So they're actually going back to their 2009 situation where they don't have to be on the on the on the field for the national anthem okay do we know why i mean they said they wanted to be more patriotic was there something that was going on at the time that they were just like we need to you know i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know if, i mean it was i mean 2009 that's eight years after 9 11 right. i remember after after 9 11 in baseball and, and particularly i mean because i'm i'm a yankees fan so i watch the yankees and they obviously have because of where they play a different connection to 9-11 maybe than a lot of other teams. But I know, like, the seventh inning stretch, for instance, uh, became a very um, a very different thing after 9-11 where they play God Bless America and, you know, all the players are out there for it and everything. That that became different after 9-11. So I don't know if it was that sort of a thing, but that's eight years after 9-11. So I don't know what it was in 2009 specifically that prompted that. I mean, that was the beginning of – Obama's term in office right. and the end of George W. Bush's term in office, but I'm trying to think of something specifically. Yeah, I mean, like you said, had it happened at 9-11, then be like, okay, well, that makes sense, but that just seemed like an odd time, and like a very arbitrary time. You know um, the first time the national anthem was ever played? No. In public? Was that a baseball game? Which team? Uh, I, You know, I don't I, <laughs> Of course you had to stump me. I'm going to be all smart. With my baseball trivia, and you stumped me. I don't know which team. I remember it being mentioned in Ken Burns' baseball documentary, though. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. I do love his stuff. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little, little well, the modern stuff's a little dated now, obviously, because it was made a long time ago. But right. great, great documentary. But, you know, baseball has always been closely associated with saying the national anthem beforehand. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know. I mean, here here's the thing. We, we are a big country, and... We pride ourselves on the value that uh, that you are allowed to dissent from conformity, right? You, you you don't. So I I like the idea of the NFL, even even though they're a business, and I guess they can compel through their collective bargaining agreements or whatever else they can compel their players to do whatever they want to do, and it's up to the players if they want to comply. I mean that's that's all a private businesses. But generally, as as a country, I think beyond the legalities and everything, I think what we aspire to is is being a country where you can dissent from conformity. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to just just do what everybody else is doing. If you don't want to say the Pledge of Allegiance, you don't want to stand for the national anthem. You don't have to. Um, but I I I think where where people lose the thread sometimes is that everybody has freedom to make those sorts of choices. And so if you choose that you want to stand for the national anthem, the NFL or your employer or somebody else could choose that they don't want to be associated with you anymore. Or that they're going to do their business in a certain way. So I, I don't know. That's the situation. It's going to be. I tell you what. This this the NFL season. I wonder. Last year, I, I think the argument was, and I I don't know. There was a lot of debate about it, but it it seemed like the national anthem controversy kind of hurt them in the ratings last year. Um, I wonder what all this controversy is going to do this year. I mean, you kind of wonder if it's going to take on like a like a reality show train wreck thing where people are tuning in just to see what. What the latest protests are, what, what the players are going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of going back to, uh, we were talking about the baseball and Star Spangled Banner being played there. 
the earliest documented performance of the Star-Spangled Banner at a baseball game occurred on May 15, 1862, during the opening game played at Union Base, uh, at Union Baseball and Cricket Grounds in Brooklyn, New York. Oh yeah, there you go, Brooklyn, New York. Um, and and just just across the uh, just across the river mm-hmm. is Elysian Fields in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is where baseball, Amer- well, the American version of baseball was pretty much invented. You got that? That's that's what we Yankee fans like to do. Baseball is basically invented in New York. So naturally, we play it better than everybody else. I mean, I'm a Twins fan, so I will agree to disagree with you on that. So. I feel like I feel like the Twins' record against the Yankees might be a a good rebuttal to that statement, Ben. I mean, I, I'm a home team guy. I can't. You're not gonna. You're <laughs> like, not gonna sway me. I like the Twins. I like the Twins. I was sad to see Phil Hughes. Uh, his career ended. He was a former Yankee star. Went over to the Twins. Was effective for a little while, but. Guy had a run of bad luck. Hey, Jay Thomas show coming up straight ahead. They're going to have a Cass County Sheriff's debate. You're definitely going to want to tune in for that. Stay tuned. Uh, This is the end of the Rob Report for today. I'll be back tomorrow. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.